Dr. Shamina, welcome to the Coupley Relationship Advice Podcast. Hi, Tim. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here um, sharing some information and also talking with you, which I don't get a chance to do enough of. So. Thank you. Last time we were supposed to hang out, I unfortunately cancelled. I was supposed to go to LA, but I finally got COVID, had to cancel everything. Oh, what a shame. Well, COVID catches up to all of us. <laughs> you're not the only one, um, but I'm glad that you're better and you're feeling better. So, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And for the people mm -hmm. listening to this, our friends and all of the people that use Coupley, you might know mm -hmm. Dr. Shamina, but if they don't, you are... Dr. Shamina is a licensed marriage and family therapist who provides individual therapy and couples therapy based out of Los Angeles, California. Dr. Shamina practices psychodynamic psychotherapy with a focus on understanding each individual's uniqueness. And so she helps to build self-awareness and help clients meet life challenges and work towards fulfillment. But also, Dr. Shamina is a Coupley OG, and you can find her work in the Coupley Enhancing Communication oh, course as well. Yes, um, thank you. What an introduction. Like, I mean, I just hearing you talk about like, this is, you know, all things I do, like um, with regards to couples work and individual work as well. Um, it's a it's a lot like when I think about it it's it's a lot of work but good work that I do um, and I enjoy it immensely. How did you get into the therapy space? Um, so, I mean, I won't bore you with the you know kind of the more traditional like I think most therapists get into. Um, doing therapy with the idea of wanting to help people. And I think I, I'm one of those individuals. So, but you know, just to think a little bit deeper, how I got into doing therapy initially, you know, I wanted, I've always loved the field of behavioral, um, behavioral science. I'm very fascinated with criminality and so forth, which a lot of people don't really know about me. Um, it's psychopathology. Um, a lot of my work in undergrad was on doing a lot of research studies in criminality and psychopathology. Um, so I am very much immersed in behavioral health, but also um, that's from an academic standpoint, but from just um, who I am as an individual, you know, some of that is my family, you know, being raised in a very blue collar working family, there was a level of dysfunction that was there, um, alcoholism, trauma, etc., small t trauma. Um, and I think the combination of the two kind of formed the mosaic of who I am as an individual and wanting to, one, understand myself on a deeper level, understand family dynamics, understand relationships. Um, and then that just, it just evolved and I came into the field, um, doing individual work and then a natural progression was like couples work. One of the things you touched on there is small T trauma. And I think for some of the folks listening to this, I'd love for you to dive in a little bit more because 
I think a lot of we, we hear trauma, the word trauma getting thrown around a lot, but I'd love to look at some definitions here and, and, and see what that means. Well, I'm not, this is going to be more of a, my definition and my understanding of, I think, small T trauma. Like, I think big T trauma, you think of it in a larger scale, such as natural disasters or, you know, um, big upheaval with regards to murders and things like that. I mean, big things, kidnapping, rape and stuff. That, these are big issues, big T trauma. And I think when I think of small T trauma, I think of the little things. It is the little breaches that happen in the course of relationships, definitely family dynamics. Let's just say, for example, I have a mother who was not emotionally available. And so that creates this deficit or this kind of void within you, which is a small T trauma of I just don't know what it feels like to actually be loved or feel attended to or feel considered. And these are things that I think all of us probably can um, vibe with, like, you know, kind of understand like, like, you know, little things that have happened on the course of our life growing up that were like little minor breaches. Um, and so I consider those like small T traumas. But these little minor breaches that happen throughout our life these can have quite a big impact uh, as sure we go th as we go throughout our life and especially in our relationships right absolutely i think small things become big things <laughs> um they don't always start off as big things but small things do become big things if they're not addressed and resolved can you give some concrete, can we go, I, I really love to always bring it back to like some concrete examples. So what are some things that we can talk about here? Um, with regards to- Small T trauma, uh, the impact of okay. yeah. So let's just say, um, for example, um, like I, I, I'll, I'll go back to the example of, let's just say for my whole life, you know, I've lived in, a environment where there isn't a lot of nurturance or adoration or affection. You know, at some point, we start to believe and start to think um, as an individual, am I lovable? Can I give love? Is this something that or I don't know what it is? Maybe I don't even understand the real definition of what love is. And over the course of time, let's just say this happens in more of your developmental years, around five, six or so, and you become an adult. We all become an adult. And so that part of you that has had this deficit for so long of like, I don't know what love is. I've never really felt it. Now you're an adult. Now you're in relationships. And so there is this part of you that has obviously not felt love. So now I'm searching for it. Now I'm looking for it in relationships. I'm looking for it maybe in a dysfunctional way, maybe in a way of I'm in a relationship with someone who's just like my mom, <laughs> who is emotionally unavailable. And so I am here trying to figure that out, resolve that issue, trying to do the best that I can to be the best version of myself with the hopes that I'm going to be loved. And so this is when you have 
little things that have happened over the course of your life that become bigger things and can derail, I think, your relationships and I think the goals that you want to have in your relationship. Because I'm not really addressing this unresolved issue. Or are you trying to address that unresolved issue in your current relationship? So you're taking the things that happened to you growing up, the relationship with your parents, and then you're like, well, I'll just grab hold of that problem. And now I'm going to pull it, find someone that also has this similar disposition or treats me maybe a similar way so I can yeah. resolve it. Yeah. I mean, it's what Freud um, called more of the repetition compulsion which is mean, meaning, just in layman's terms, that we have the tendency to repeat what we know. Um, like, have you, Tim, like have you actually repeated a pattern in your relationships? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah. so we're all, we all fall kind of, I don't wanna say victim, but we all fall into this. Even I have, I have repeated patterns in my relationships that mirror my other relationships with parents because keep in mind our relationships with our parents and all the caregivers and those formulative those people who are around us at the early stage influence and inform our intimate relationships because that's where we learned I wonder as well if there's something here around I've been we've been writing a little bit around the different stages of relationships right and so in that limerence mm -hmm. phase in that infatuation phase when all of those brain chemicals are going around it's probably so healing because in that moment of the relationship right your partner isn't their true true self they're sort of their like highlight reel and those first two years you're probably like wow this is the person they have this say if you have a stern family, they have this stern thing about like my family, but I've managed to break it down and, and now I'm seeing them open up. Uh, mm -hmm. So in those first few years, it's probably a very heady cocktail. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful phase to be in. Um, and with my couples and even individuals that I counsel, like I help individuals in that moment in that space like within the first like six months to a year to manage their expectations because there is this part of a lot of our psychology of just like wanting to think like oh, this is it i found the person like this person me but we all have to we all relax into becoming ourselves and a lot of and I'll just kind of say this like in more in psych psychological terms, like in the first early stages, it is about mirroring. You know, I give this example, like if I go to a bar, <laughs> if I go to a bar and I meet somebody and this person is, I get a drink, they get a drink and this person is like, oh my God, you're the most beautiful person in the world. And I'm like, oh, that feels so great. That feels so wonderful. This person sees me. They see all of me. And now I'm attracted to that. Mm. The love and like, you look great. And like, you're so amazing. You're so amazing. I'm attracted to that. And then let's just say, I'm just giving you an example. I decide to go home with this person. And then the next morning I wake up and I'm like, this person is not saying these things. And I'm completely disillusioned. But in that moment, 
you fall in love with all the things that this person is doing and what they're saying. And in a lot of ways, it is kind of an illusion because we all have to relax into who we are. That doesn't mean that it's not true. It just means that it's part of like this phase of like, I'm falling in love with all of what I hope this person can be for me. And I have to come to have a sense of reality of like who this person is versus who I want them to be. And well, I think there's so, a transitional phase that yeah. we all have to kind of navigate, you know, when it comes to relationships. Yeah. And what and what are some ways of people getting either through the transitional phase? What are, what are some ways of people getting through this transitional phase after this heady attraction phase? Um, I, I think a few managing expe expectations is one. I think it's a huge deal, like managing your expectations of a person, um, but also paying attention to the reality. I can't reinforce that enough, which is what is the reality of this person? What are What is it that they're not, not just what they're saying to me, what is it that they're doing? Both matters. The version of them that can say words, but also what they're doing put those two together, does it match up? You know, because a person can tell you all these wonderful things, you're amazing, you're amazing, but then I don't call you for mm -hmm. a week. Mm -hmm. I don't call you for a week. So how do you make sense of that? And I think it's, there's a, you have to really think, you want to think about what is, it's not just what this person's saying, it's what they're doing, putting both of them together because they're both important. Mm -hmm. when it comes to finding out, is this person a match for me? Something I've been thinking about recently is thinking about the shadow or the flip side to any positive attribute that someone presents. You're going to see a flip side from that. Um, and I think mm -hmm. it's a, mm -hmm. maybe a good way of thinking about this beginning part of relationships is, okay, here's an amazing positive attribute that my partner has um we're in the we're in the first two years we're in the honeymoon phase let's think mm -hmm. about all these positive attributes and now let's think like realistically in the future that's going to mean the opposite they're super spontaneous i love how they always have all these ideas of things to do okay well that also might mean that they might not be very organized or they might be um over sure. and end up not committing to things Oh, they're so organized. They always plan everything. I love how they have everything in a spreadsheet. Good luck trying to get yeah. them go on a last minute weekend because they're not going to be down for that. Yeah, they're so organized that they forget about the other little things, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're so focused on organizing over here, but then they forget about like, oh, these other little things. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I think the idea of a shadow side is, that's interesting that, I would say more or less like it's more of the other version, the, the other side of the person. I think the shadow side, you know, can be, <clears throat> I think a lot of the negative, let's just say like attributes of a person. It doesn't have to mean that it's seriously negative, mm -hmm. but you know, these are things that, you know, such as what you, the example that you gave, which is the person can be forgetful. Maybe they're overthinking to the point that they actually forget, or I'm, you know, um, or I, <clears throat> excuse me, overthink and maybe I cling 
a lot because that's another thing. You know, yeah. I clean, I'm, I'm like so anxious and it's like I clean, which it can be positive, but also yeah. how is that for your partner that you oh, yeah. live with? Where they're cleaning behind you, <laughs> you know, right. and it becomes, you know, challenging to actually be around this person. So navigating that. And I think um, some things I think can be rise to the occasion of this is something that can be pretty serious that we need to talk about and um, work through. And some things are a little bit more benign, you know, like someone who's forgetful. I mean, we all forget things. I mean, it's to the extent. Again, there's grades of like how you can view this. And it really depends on how you view that as well, because some people can view, oh, um, my partner's a little bit forgetful. It's not a big deal. But some people can internalize that and be like, you don't care about me because you forgot this. So it's almost like how much pos how much positive intent are you assuming? And also kind of like you said earlier, how much of this is a pattern? Is our word is words matching behavior? Is this uh, a continued thing in which your partner's forgetting major events mm -hmm. or when you ask them to do something? Because then that can drive mm -hmm. you absolutely bananas. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think you bring up that's a really good point, Tim, which is the internalization of I think a lot of what I try and help with when I work with couples is this idea of I think a lot of times in couples therapy, a lot of what I do is help one, I help individuals learn how to communicate. But I also help them learn what is their internal blueprint that is influencing their behavior. And one of the big things that happens in couples is, you know, is a lot of times people will become very defensive. Like, let's just say you start off a conversation and I'm feeling a particular way. And my partner says, well, I forgot to, you know, I forgot forgot about our dinner plans and so I internalize that he doesn't love me I don't feel loved now that part which is I've internalized the fact that this person made a misstep a mistake I've now gave it a meaning mm -hmm. he made a mistake I've given it a meaning and that meaning comports with my own understanding of how I view relationships. And I think that's important to tease out because when you are defensive and you kind of stay in that place, I think defensiveness keeps us from learning. See, cause I'm defending against the reality, which is this person's flawed, I'm flawed, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm defending against this person. I'm holding on to the belief that they just don't love me. It's a very self-righteous position, but that keeps you from learning that we're all flawed. We make mistakes, but I can also learn that just because he made a mistake or he didn't follow through on the plans for dinner has nothing to do with loving me. I've conflated the two and now I have to separate them and give it a different meaning, if that makes sense. It makes complete sense. And I'm wondering, once these two things have been conflated, do people <laughs> then look for evidence to back up this conflated, conflated belief? 
yes i mean that's how a lot of arguments happen and i think how a lot of repetitive arguments happen and they become very entrenched them into them because i have this thought well first let me just back up i have a feeling and then i have a thought and then i gave it a meaning and now it becomes a truth in the relationship and so it becomes very cemented and then i didn't even realize i instigated my own demise <laughs> i didn't even realize it because i've just i like i feel it i think it i gave it a meaning and that is what it has to that that's what it is and it's dismantling that which takes time a lot of our defenses and the reasons that we are defended and guarded on these issues come from deeper roots that have to be challenged and looked at and understood. And, and there could be like a hundred of these things in a relationship operating simultaneously, right? I mean, look, we're, we are, you know, uh, when you think of humans, we are like a collection of 365 pages of history. So it, 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 it takes time. It takes time. Um, you're based in Los yes. Angeles, California. Uh-huh. Um, and obviously this is the hub of the entertainment industry in, in North America. Being in that space, are there any more common things or issues that you see between couples? Um, I think a lot of the issues that I see that I, I, I recognize in Los Angeles, it might be a little bit more central to Los Angeles. It's not exclusive, um, is a lot of narcissism. Um, but that actually happens like all over. Um, but with the entertainment industry, there's, you know, narcissism and there's, you know, um, a lot of personality stuff and, but mostly a lot of narcissism, um, that you may come across, um, here but otherwise i think there are regular you know issues that happen in couples it just may be at a different level it may be magnified mm -hmm. a little bit more because of whatever the status is and whatever the socioeconomic issues are <laughs> much like trauma narcissism is something that is so popular mm -hmm. it is there are so many articles about it you search it hundreds and hundreds of articles come up and I see, I see this a lot, but it is actually mm -hmm. a defined psychological principle and concept. And I think that um, we have this like this broad sort of zeitgeist understanding of narcissism. And then there's actual like more of a clinical understanding of narcissism. I'd love for you okay. to talk a, a little bit more about what is the definition, like the true definition. Okay. So before I dive in, have you ever met someone who's a narcissist? I don't think I've met in person, but I think I've watched them on TV. Okay. <laughs> I'm thinking of some of the reality TV shows that me and my girlfriend so, binge. Like, what do you think uh, a narcissist is? A narcissist is someone Like, what's your understanding? My understanding is that a narcissist is someone that will stop at nothing to reach their goals and use people in a way that means that they are going to push themselves constantly forward and ahead. This also reflects on their how they look and how they appear, how they carry themselves. It's all strategic and moving forward. 
That sounds good. That sounds good to me. <laughs> um, well, I, okay. So, sure. I mean, a lot of there's, so I like, I think very similar along the same lines. I will just add in, you know, I think a narcissist is someone who's so self-absorbed mm. that they're incapable of truly considering and empathizing with the feelings of others. Um, like they fit the bill of they're like a legend in their own mind. I mean, it's like <laughs> Donald Trump or something like that. Like yeah. very robust psychology of I'm a legend in my own mind. And so yeah. at the underpinnings of a lot of narcissism is that they're desperately fighting to keep a, the haunting voice of their unconscious away from their awareness. Um, so it's the idea that this grandiose state of who they are, like they have a hard time really relaxing into who they are as individuals. They feel very superior. They demand or adoration, irrespective of whether they it's warranted or not in the audience or merit. Um, they have a lot of issues with real intimacy mm. and in choosing to kind of be in this grandiose state of like superior perch where they can look down on other people so that you don't really see the shadow structure that lies really behind um, this grandiose exterior. That is what I consider a narcissist. I really like that description. It was so visual, I could almost see it in my mind's eye. Mm -hmm. There's almost uh, a healthy amount of narcissism required, though, to do some pursuits, right? To be an artist, you have to believe sure. in yourself. You have to do unconventional things. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thinking I have a background in the book space. Many authors push their best books are when they stop caring what anyone thinks and they get mm -hmm. fully vulnerable or even just brave and push the plot out. They go places where people that make a lot of people very uncomfortable. And then these are the books that that take off. Um, yeah. And that's, yeah. it's, it's, there's a little bit of narcissism in that. There's also the second piece of narcissism, which where it's like, they're confident enough to put their stuff out there and be like, you all need to read this. <laughs> sure. I mean, I think the, the distinction that you're making, and I think it's a great example, is that these individuals it does take a little bit of narcissism to push their books off front. I mean, it takes a little bit of narcissism, even with, I'm sure with even you, Tim, like to yeah. create the app and like do this and have this vision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of narcissism in me where I'm like, I I feel like I have something to offer and like talk to my clients and really help them. The difference is when you are allowing yourself to be vulnerable, mm -hmm. vulnerable enough so that people can see what's inside mm -hmm. of you. It's the kind of like what is inside of you matches what's on the outside yeah <laughs> yeah you know which is different than yeah. you know a narcissist like i i you know we had a talk and i had explained to you like i mm. like to look at narcissism as like the sun mm -hmm. you know so you have the unhealthy version which is the sun that has all these planets that revolve around them and they're just kind of just floating out there in space but just revolving around the sun because it has all this mass and it's bright and it's shiny. The difference be 
between that and healthy narcissism is I can be the sun and have all these planets revolve around me, but I'm giving off warmth. I'm giving off a lot of warmth. I consider the planets that are revolving around, like I'm making sure that they're, you know, taking, like, that's a healthy sense. And it is understanding that narcissism, I know gets a, a little bit of a bad rap, but there are shades of it. It could definitely be pathological, but there are healthy versions of it. You know, just give, just think about like when you are growing up as a little kid and you're two and three years old, at that stage, your whole central focus is on me. Mm -hmm. Me, 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 me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so there's a version of that that's like quite healthy of like, I can see like I am a person and I believe like I, I'm a person, I'm here. I have a self that's healthy. You just want to be able to modulate that where you can actually be em empathize with other people, care about other people, mm. consider them in light of the space that you're in. And continuing on this, how, mm -hmm. how does this manifest in relationships? Wow. Um, well, I think a lot... Well, if you've known a narcissist, like, um, and I think you mentioned you haven't met anyone in person, um, because it's very hard to escape. Right. <laughs> it's very hard to escape, like, kind of the clutches of, you know, someone who's a narcissist, um, mainly because they're so charming. I mean, they're right. very charming. They're, I mean, just on the surface, they're very charming. They're conversational. They, they make you feel like you're just in their world and it's so compelling it's mm -hmm. so compelling until it's not and i think a lot of times people will fall and get into relationships with someone who's a little narcissist um, and because of this compelling idea of like this person's like so great and they think so great about me they they adore me and i adore him and that becomes the compelling piece. But then underneath, there's all these, again, the structure is very shabby. And so a lot of times it's very hard to extricate yourself from these types of relationships with someone who's a narcissist because you're really holding on to this idea of like, oh my God, when it's great, it's great. <laughs> mm. When it's not, it's not. Mm. But you have this idea of like, it can be so great. And so it's a, you know, excuse my language, it is really a bit of a mind um, fuck, <laughs> you know, um, it <laughs> yeah. really is, yeah. you know, because you're kind of confused, like what, what happened and what's wrong. Um, so a lot of the it's like relationships like that are very difficult to extricate yourself from. It takes time. It takes um, learning how to set boundaries. It takes um, learning how to develop your own voice to really start separating yourself from the clutches of the narcissist, mm -hmm. um, which can be very difficult. And because you're oscillating 
because you're going from these highs and these lows and these highs and these mm -hmm. lows, it's very, very difficult to develop any kind of boundaries, self-worth when you're just riding this roller coaster probably because you're like, oh, it's up. It's amazing. Everything we've come out of it. We've come out of the of the of the hard parts, and now everything's incredible. And sex is amazing. Mm -hmm. We're doing stuff together. We're so aligned. This is my forever mm -hmm. person. And then it's like <laughs> go all the way right. down. But that that ride in itself, it's so disorienting. Yeah, it's very disorienting. Um, and so I mean, a lot of individuals that get caught in the clutches, you know. Um, has to really start taking a hard look at the reason that this was so compelling. And a lot of times, and I'm not saying this is all the time, but generally speaking, a lot of the times is because so much of that love that I desire and that I want and I adore and I want to have in my life is attached to my self-worth. So if I don't get it, then that means I'm not good enough. And if I'm not good enough, then I'll try and fix it. I'll fix myself in order to have it. And so there's a cycle there that starts to emerge of, I want it, I had it, I lost it, I gotta fix it, and now I gotta go back again to kind of like re-up. Mm -hmm. So what are some things that people can do if they're in, if they listen to this and they're like, wow, Tim, Dr. Shamina, this, you're describing my life, what can we advise them to do? So one of the things I would first strongly urge is go to therapy, <laughs> get into therapy, um, because I think you need support to go through it. Um, the second thing I would definitely say to the person is don't just look at what the person is look at how they're treating you. Don't just listen to the words. That's why I mentioned that earlier. Don't just mm -hmm. look at how they're treating you. Because that is a sense of reality of the relationship, right? How are they treating you? And if you don't feel great, then there's something there that I need to question that maybe warrants my attention. So pay attention to what the person is saying, like what they're doing not just what they're saying, what they're doing to you. And then start to set some boundaries. You have to set some boundaries for yourself in order to protect yourself. And that's not gonna be easy. It's not easy. So you have to really find your courage, find strength to start setting boundaries so that you can start to have a little bit of a separation so that you can develop your own sense of understanding of what's happening when and then you, you can move you, forward mm -hmm. when it comes to setting boundaries can mm -hmm. we give some people some concrete examples here again it, it setting bound like talking about boundaries sometimes mm -hmm. I, i've spoken with people that use our app and they and they're like what is a boundary um and i realized that in this mm -hmm. in this podcast i'm talking to relationship experts you've been doing this for years and yeah. it, even just getting into some of this basic terminology is very, very, very useful. Yeah. Um, so a boundary is pretty much it's not, I, I like to use it, like it's a statement that you're making that's not necessarily 
written in a Sharpie. It's kind of written like with a pencil where you're stating to this person, let's just say, that's not, that kind of behavior is not okay with me. Um, or I feel, I don't feel important when you do, when you don't call me. I would like for you to actually call me or please don't do this. It makes me feel fill in the blank. These are boundaries. Now, whether or not they're honored is not important. What's important is you're making a formal statement. You're making a statement about yourself, about how you want to be treated, also about how you want to protect and value yourself. So boundaries are statements of like, this doesn't work for me. I feel a particular way when you do this, please don't do this, or please don't call me in at this hour. Or for example, um, if you want to make, you know, if you want to go out with me, I'm giving this example, um, give me some lead time. Mm -hmm. Don't just call me at like five, you know, um, seven o'clock expecting for me to go out. Like I need to plan. These are, it's a statement about how you want to be treated when you think about it. It's like I'm setting the standard of how I would like to be treated by this other person. And I'm making a statement about that. If you are someone who is passive, if you're a people pleaser, these can feel terrifying because your whole life you haven't said a thing. You maybe just, um, held it inside and and then blown up over something completely different later it, it can mm -hmm. be very uncomfortable and some people don't even know when that what their boundaries are until it's been crossed and then you get a bit of an icky feeling inside mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. i think it's i think it's a really good process if people if you get that icky feeling or you feel like someone's taking advantage of me i don't feel comfortable in this that's a really right. good sign for hey you've just discovered right. a boundary Absolutely. Um, that feeling internally, like this doesn't feel great. I feel like I don't feel good about this. I don't feel good about what just happened. That's a feeling that you want to take notice of. And I think, you know, sometimes we can override it and rationalize it. But the point is, is that when you have that feeling, like you said, that ick, that feeling of this didn't feel great, like I didn't feel good you know, after this phone call or after this meeting with this person, I need to pay attention to it. But if I'm a people pleaser, then I might rationalize the behavior and I might say, well, it probably wasn't that bad. Maybe they had a bad day. That's the reason that they did what they did. And so it's okay. I don't blame individuals for who are people pleasers, who want to appease other people for being a little frightened. I don't blame them for that. Because two things happen. If you can either tolerate that icky kind of feeling, which isn't great over time, that starts to erode at your self-esteem, it starts to bring about feelings of depression, which is not great. Or if you're courageous enough, you start to risk it. 
So you have two options as a people pleaser. <laughs> I say this. You either repress the feeling, which can land you in feeling depressed, which can erode at your self-esteem, which can also lead to other issues, or you can risk it, which means now I'm putting the relationship, um, I'm getting up close and personal in the relationship where I am making a request of like how I want to be treated, which the person the on the other side may have an issue with. But it's all for your benefit. It's all for your benefit to have someone really respect you. I have this saying with um, a lot of my clients, like, would you rather be liked or would you rather be respected? I would like to be respected first. <laughs> Yeah. Because if I'm respected, then eventually you'll probably like me because I'm a likable person. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. but if I lead with wanting to be liked, that's all I'm going to get is being liked by people. But they're not going to respect me as an individual. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to think about, like, again, what we're leading with, I think a lot of, even in our conversation today with talking about relationships and speaking up for yourself, asserting yourself, communication, all of it begins with our own psychology. It's a window into our own psychology um, because how we think and how we feel about relationships and how we engage with others is about our own psychology and it could take us down a very narrow path if we're not aware in the, in these conversations these aren't easy conversations to have when you're having a serious conversation with your partner you can still bring some levity into it but sometimes it's not appropriate to do that i'm thinking about if someone's not treating you the way that you want to be treated right mm -hmm. um you're in a longer term relationship maybe you just crossed that two-year mark um okay. the sparkle started to go the honeymoon period's uh -huh. over um and you're getting the sense that your partner's not treating you in the manner that they used to you can feel it starting to slip away mm -hmm. these are tough conversations to have because you you know actually the way that your partner responds to it is it's going to have a significant it could have a very significant impact sure what are some sure. good ways of teeing it up? Um, I would say one of the best ways is, you know, um, being very conversational about it. I know it can be a difficult conversation, but being very conversational about it by saying, hey, um, this is your partner. Hey, I would, you know, do you have some time? Like, I'd like to talk to you about something that's been bothering me. And if you're with, you know, if your partner is right there, of course, like, you know, what's bothering you? This is what's been bothering me. I'm, I've been noticing, like, I don't feel great when you do this, but make it conversational. I think sometimes um, it may feel, I, and I want to, it may feel like this can be a very big conversation because I've never really done it. And so there's a lot of anxiety and fear of like, oh my God, I hope this goes well and so forth. But 
if you can manage and modulate that emotion, really, it is a normal conversation to have in the course of a relationship. Mm -hmm. So again, it's about managing and modulating our own feelings about like, this is going to be a big deal. It's a, it's a conversation, actually. That's really what it is. It's a conversation about something that's important, which is your relationship that we all have to navigate at some point. And it's important to build that in sooner rather than later so that you can start getting into the pattern of conversating about topics. Um, I think oftentimes with couples, there's an unspoken agreement, usually within the first year of what we don't, what we will talk about and what we won't talk about. Um, so for example, like if one person is like really touchy and they can't really take feedback or anything like that, mm -hmm. then there becomes this implicit understanding that I'm not going to share and I'm not going to talk to my partner about that. So each individual kind of colludes in a way of, we're not going to talk about this issue. And then you stop trying and then you live in silence, which is not great. <laughs> so problems almost have to be huge before you actually discuss them. And a lot of times you want to start having these practicing, having these conversations, these little conversations at the beginning before they become bigger conversations. A lot of times we know that these are things that have been happening over the course of time, back to back to back. We have to, an individual has to kind of get the courage to say like, you know, if I'm going to be in this relationship, then I have to build the courage and the strength to like, let's start creating a new pattern in this relationship where we can start talking about things and be more open. And it's a relationship superpower. If you can get to the point where you can do this in your relationship, you'll build so much trust and you oh start God. feeling like there's nothing that we can't talk about and your partner's receptive. You've had these, um, not hard conversations, but you've had conversations that are around things that you want to try differently or things that you're not happy with or mm -hmm. just even things that you're seeing your partner do or things that they're seeing you do and you can talk about it as a team. And that feeling when you have an issue, you bring it up with your partner and they're like, oh, that's really fair. Like, thanks for bringing that up. I'd, I'd, hate, I'd have hated you to carry that and not share that with me. And you feel like, yeah. wow, this is awesome. Like, yeah. it's a really great feeling. It is a great feeling. I mean, when a relationship hums like that, I mean, it, you know, you really see like this is a great this is like the makings of a wonderful great relationship where we're connected we're talking about things we're not like little things don't have to be big things like we're we're kind of just making a conversational of the course of our relationship we're just making a conversational and that's when it really hums when you really take these small things that happen over the course of the day and start addressing them and, therefore and you can't... have to get to the big one mm-hmm that's it. And, and this is what I was thinking is that you can make it loving too. It can be around, it can be done in a very loving way. Um, mm -hmm. Because you can say like, hey, this is really important to me. And you've always done it like this. I've noticed recently that you're doing it like that. And it's starting to make me feel like this. <laughs> and, exactly. and, and the person will 
hopefully if if they're open and if you're saying it in a way in which if you're saying you sometimes your messages have to be given in a way that can be recepted by the partner and and then they can give it back mm-hmm um, I think, I mean, what you said, I think is important The I'm giving, I'm sharing this with you because obviously I feel a particular way about the way things have been going and I don't want to shut down. I don't want to be unhappy. So I'm really giving you a gift by sharing it with you. And if your partner can be open to receive it, and not personalize it then there's an opportunity for the couple to grow from that experience mm. if the partner is not open that doesn't mean what you did like the other partner who was sharing the information it was bad or it was wrong and i'd said it wrong it means that oh my partner wasn't able to receive it that's it and now the conversation shifts not just about what i'm feeling but now shifts to what's happening with my partner that they shut down or they got defensive or um weren't just weren't able to hear like what i have to say because then that needs to be resolved right and this is the big this is the big thing this is what we talk about so much at Coupley, this is what we hear so much, and it is around trying to talk to your partner and they're not mm -hmm. listening. And I think this is, yes. is this something that comes up a lot for you? I'm assuming it is. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I think defensiveness is, you know, um, because I think when people get defensive and they shut down, they take what you're saying as a personal attack rather than an expression from their partner sharing like what they feel. And the defensiveness of like, I took this personal, keeps you from learning something about your partner. It keeps you from learning. And I think that's important. Like if you want your relationship to evolve, you wanna, let's put down the defensiveness and say, wait a minute, let me take a beat. What is it? What, a, what part of what my partner's saying could be true? What if there's something in there that's true? Also, what's the worst that could happen if mm. I receive what she says? He or she, I mean. What's the worst that could happen? These are questions that you can ask yourself to stop yourself from kind of defending. Mm -hmm. It's like, wait a minute, let me just think for a moment. Let me think for a moment. What is it that my partner's saying to me? It's very frustrating to be in a conversation with someone where you're trying to get through to them and they are like batting it. They're, you're trying to say something and they are batting it back immediately without thinking about it. It's mm -hmm. like they're thinking of their response as you're talking and then that response is there. And you're like, no, you haven't listened to what I said. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and you, I mean, you sound like you have a lot of experience with this, Tim. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just think it's like probably something that I've had to unlearn. To be honest, this is why I know it so intimately. Is because 
I did a lot of debate at school. And so at university, I thought it was so cool. And it is the worst, the worst training right. for your relationship that you could ever mm -hmm. have. It might be great for your career. It might be great for intellectual development. Right. You use your debate skills in a relationship. You are fucked. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. I, I mean, I think that's one, like one of the things that I will say, um, you never, I think you don't want to use logic. I think this is like another commu communication technique. Like you don't want to use logic a lot with your um, partner. Like you don't want to kind of logic them to death of like, well, you said this and I did, you know, you kind of like give the list and like you're almost like debating a point you know mm -hmm. you don't mm -hmm. want to do that because then your partner is just going to shut down because they're thinking to themselves, wow they're not even listening to me i don't feel heard and so if you can put that down to the side and listen you stand way better of a chance to really grasp what your partner's saying like it doesn't mean that you're wrong for how you feel. It just means that I need to put that to the side for a moment and just focus on the conversation and receiving it. And that takes some a skill to be able to put your feelings, your thoughts to the side for a moment and just focus on your partner. It's a technique of having one conversation at a time. Mm. Not multiple, but one conversation at a time. Because you can't fix multiple conversations like you can only mm -hmm. fix one thing at a time so it takes each partner trying to slow themselves down like we're going to slow this down we're going to deal with what my grievance is first and then once that's resolved then we'll we'll deal with what you have to say and that that does kind of help relieve some of the tension i i, I always think if if you feel you say, if you feel you're about to say, you always do this or you never do that. If you feel you're about to say, well, before you said this, and mm -hmm. if you feel you're about to say, well, give me an example of one time that I've done that or three times I've done that. If you feel that you're going to do one of those three things, mm -hmm. then you know that you're acting in defensiveness. And instead, you need to find a way to step into curiosity if you want your relationship to grow. If you care about this person and you want to build a relationship with this person, step into curiosity. And even if these questions have to be a little bit hardwired, because it's very hard naturally to do if you've grown up in a certain way, you've been trained Absolutely. in a certain way. Yes. Mm -hmm. Step into that and then be like, okay, why are you feeling like this? Can you talk more about that? Exactly. Or, how is this making you feel and just try instead to step imagine the way that i always think about it is i imagine that psychologically i'm not standing across from my partner but i'm standing next to my partner with my arm around them and i'm trying to look at what they're painting that's how i try and do it in my own mind that's wonderful no i think that's wonderful to excuse me to be able to do um it takes time to undo a lot of behaviors of like the defensiveness. I mean, I think that's a, a big one um, that comes up a lot of times in couples. Um, also the blame, that's another one that's like big. It takes time to really dismantle that. But I think you give, you know, the idea of have to put it to the side for a moment because my partner 
the person that I care for is in pain, obviously, because they're telling me this. And so if I care for my partner, I want to put it to the side and try and be curious about what they're saying. What is it that you're saying? Is it, is it, is there some truth in there? You know, I'm, I'm like, what are you feeling about this? Um, let me listen, listen with an open mind, not with the idea that I have to defend my little self and my personal self, like, but to keep an open mind about what this person is saying to you because again if i can't listen then i can't learn we're we're dancing this line as well between respect and, mm -hmm. and responding with curiosity right because sometimes you feel like you're being um disrespected when your partner is coming at you with criticism but it's not that it's still worth listening Right. And the way in which you have this conversation, I think, is an, is an important one. But there is like a tension there. Do, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I hear you. I think non being so non-defensive in communicating is, I think, reparative in and of itself. Hmm. Like if you could put the defensiveness down, like very often in my work, um, nothing more has to be done to ease the other's pain than to just listen mm. um, in a very deep and caring way um, to what the other person's saying. Like, you don't have to try and convince your partner that it's like, I care about you. I, of course, of course I love you. It's like, all you have to do is just listen, be in the present moment. And that is reparative in and of itself. A lot of times there's nothing to be done except just listen. Are these the same as sober conversations? Yes, it is. <laughs> I, um, I use, you know, having a sober conversation, I use that term sober um, to highlight that a lot of time when you have conversations, it can be infused with so much anxiety and so much fear and um, again, influenced by your own psychology, that that starts to color what you say and how you receive it. And when you can have a sober conversation, it's really just being able to sit, relax, and listen to what, and only listen to what you're being told and responding. Because then all the noise is not there. It doesn't mean you're not a little anxious or you have your feelings, but it's really seeing things clearly not through this lens of let's just say if anxieties or trauma or what have you it is about seeing things clearly exactly the way they are wonderful what are some final tips that you can give our coupley couples Hmm. One tip, can I give one tip? Yeah. I will say this. Um, I think one tip I will give to all of you who are listening. Um, I think a high form of love occurs when your partner is brave enough and strong enough to express themselves and be vulnerable 
don't shame your partner mm. in that moment. Um, because it's hard to be vulnerable to express your, your innermost feelings only for the person to say, well, that's wrong. You know, it's like when that happens and you see your partner saying, I feel sad or I feel unhappy about this, it's so important not to shame them and make a commitment to yourself to understand as opposed to defending or counterattacking, I think that is a key big thing to the process of repairing a lot of, you know, um, underlying issues is committing yourself to understand and to listen and to be curious and non-shaming and non-attacking, especially when you're trying to be vulnerable to fix something. That's beautiful. I love that. I love that. Right. <laughs> it's been a real pleasure as always. What's happened? What are you up to for this year? What have you got going on? And then we'll get into the how people can get in touch with you. Sure. What's happening? Um, I, I feel like you've got some things going on. Well, well, my practice is, you know, busy, 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 which is great. And I'm so excited that, you know, things are still with my practice going really well. I have slowly started to um, culminate my ideas to write a book. Oh, um, a lot of the book will be not necessarily on couples, but it will be about my experience as a black woman and therapist um, navigating um, the world, um, also relationships and family, pretty much kind of like a guide and an understanding of like how to not allow your past to dictate your future. And so that will be kind of like the crux of the book. I'm still like working on, you know, the you know inner workings, but that will be pretty much what it will be about. And I also have my podcast, which you can always check out, Dark Matters with Dr. Shamina, um, where I like to talk about things that happen in my therapy room, um, things that I think might be helpful for couples and individuals. Um, all aspects of psychology. Podcast is excellent. It is Dr. <laughs> Shamina giving you your own mini therapy session right into your ears or ruminating about interesting things. Um, almost wanted to pivot our podcast just on the, the, the one about that you recently had about like, what is going on with men? I was like, oh, this would be also a great conversation. <laughs> Well, I did actually a podcast on like what was happening with men. Um, I think I might follow up with like a few other parts, but you can check it out. Like it's, yeah, it's on it my great. website. I'm on. Oh, you, you listen. Yeah, I listen to it. Great. I to it. Oh, that's it great. That's wonderful. Um, so you heard it from Tim. Like it was great. So, you know, you guys should check it out. <laughs> and you also have a course. Actually, the course, um, I'm going to redo the course. Actually, I'm going to do something a little different that may be focused on um, probably more so individuals. Um, I'll leave the coupling, couple stuff to you, Tim. But <laughs> uh, but it'll be focused on like individuals, like at some point, you know, I'll kind of re rework the, um, the actual course. Fantastic. And when those mm -hmm. are all out, please let us know so we can let everyone in Kakli know as well. Well, it has yeah. been 
such a great conversation such a pleasure as always um i always oh, really really enjoy you. our conversations and i i just so appreciate Same. you being being part of Coupley as well. And if you're listening to this and want to see more of Dr. Shamina's work, you can check out the Enhancing Communication course in Coupley. You can click on her there and then go to her website. But if you're listening to this, it also will be in the show notes below as well. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Tim. It was great.